9 out of 10 practice mergers are likely to fail in the next year. Will yours be one of them? That's the subject we'll be discussing on today's program with two national experts in the field of healthcare M&A. Dave Audibert is a certified public accountant and valuation analyst and the former CFO of Origin Healthcare Solutions, a large revenue cycle management organization. Attorney Brad Munchine has helped practices and businesses navigate the legal and financial pitfalls surrounding M&A activity for more than a quarter century. Together, they co-founded Akiro, a consulting firm that works with private practices across the country to facilitate complex medical transactions and acquisitions. Gentlemen, welcome. Dave, let's start with you. 90% of physician practice mergers and acquisitions fail to reach their financial goals for either side. Why? Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, I think often it's planning. And when a physician is billing and they own the, and they own, they own the practice, they're, uh, they're highly incentivized by the revenue that they generate. And then when they're being paid on productivity, that sometimes changes. In addition to that, you know, when you're adding a health system benefit load, when you're adding health system protocols around HIPAA or PHI, those expenses often reduce the, the profitability of the practice, and it's not always anticipated. So it's really anticipation. It's you perhaps think you're more valuable than you are, or one side perceives value in a different way. Right. So when you're adding those levels of burden, you know, whether it's employee benefits or, you know, higher health system staffing costs, um, that's not always anticipated when they're in analyzing the, uh, the profitability of the practice. And because of that, um, they may end up with lower profitability and therefore lower return on the investment they anticipated. Brad, how about the regulatory constraints when entering into an agreement to sell your practice or, or enter into a professional services agreement? Well, in both those situations, uh, there's a significant regulatory uh, construct that you have to be aware of. Uh, the Stark laws around anti-kickback and the anti-kickback statutes, uh, along with the False Claims Act, all come into play uh, when you're reviewing a uh, transaction. And the key to those statutes is to ensure that the transaction meets fair market value standards. How do you define that? So fair market value is, is defined as you would define almost any other transaction, which is do you have two uh, willing participants, uh, a buyer and a seller, uh, that under normal circumstances would come up to a value that would be an agreement in the market. So as you travel around the country and you counsel private practices, uh, what are some of the biggest problems that you have you're seeing? Well, staying on the theme of the fair market value, uh, there's a lot of incentive from uh, healthcare systems that when you sell your practice to them or you uh, become affiliated with them, a healthcare system is going to also want you to continue to uh, refer patients into that healthcare system. And uh, th the healthcare system is incentivized uh, to, uh, make, uh, to, to make that transaction profitable for you when you are in fact uh, uh, doing so. And, and that is when you get into problems with the anti-kickback statute. Uh, you need to stay at fair market value and actually not get compensated for those referrals. 
uh, if you're selling your practice or if getting affiliated with a private equity group, for example, uh, very often you don't have those types of constraints because they don't, uh, if, especially if they don't own a facility that you might be referring to. Dave, you're also seeing some other issues you were telling me earlier. Uh, IT, for example, technology and the use of technology. Uh, talk a little bit about that, if you could. You know, when I, when I see the, you know, practices and physicians asking when should I sell or how should I sell, I always tell them, sell an asset, don't sell a problem. And what that means is think about selling when you're generating the most amount of revenue that, you know, you're working full-time, you're not working part-time, you're not kind of thinking of semi-retirement, and you've also fortified your practice with, the appropriate protocols, you're, you know, you're tight on your revenue cycle, you're, um, you know, you're well established with your PHI protections, you have encrypt, you know, encryption or other um, you know, cyber uh, protections in place so that when somebody's looking at the business, they're not seeing risk, they're seeing the revenue as it is. Um, and that's how you can really maximize the value of that practice. So that's that's what I tell them when, you know, when, when we, we speak with them. Maximizing the value, whether you're, is there a difference whether you're selling versus whether you're entering into a personal services agreement? Well, in a, pers a personal services agreement, a professional services agreement, uh, you're, not, you're not in fact becoming an employee of the hospital or the, hosp or the employee of the uh, private equity group or the purchaser of your practice. Uh, you're in fact providing a service uh, to them and they are uh, paying you on a, on a, a per service fee, uh, RVU basis. Uh, very often in that situation, your staff uh, and your, your location, your lease are all transferred over to whoever is in fact purchasing the practice and you become an independent contractor. Uh, in a, uh, in, a, in a situation where you become an employee, uh, you're very often going then to be subject to all of the rules and regulations that involve any other employee of that organization. So there are some uh, physicians who prefer to stay independent and like the professional services agreement uh, arrangement. And there's others who, who want the protections of, the employee, of being an employee. They want the benefits. Um, and they want uh, the certainty of knowing that they're an employee. Uh, so it, it really depends on the practice. It depends on the individual, where they are in their life. Uh, it depends on, on what they uh, prefer to do. We were talking earlier about maximizing value um, and some of the problems you might see as you counsel practices around the country. Talk a little bit about coding uh, and potential for coding errors and things. I mean, that. I'm assuming is an area where right. you can really it's, maximize your value. That's a great question. And it's, it has both a, a positive and negative to it. So if you're thinking about selling your practice and you're, um, you know, you're really pushing the boundary on how you code things, uh, which will generate more revenue for you in the short term, a good, a good buyer in their due diligence is going to see that and, um, and that will serve you in a negative way. Um, conversely, if you're being so conservative that you're really not realizing the full value of your services, you're only doing yourself a disservice by not fully coding for, uh, for what you've accomplished. So 
it's really a situation where you have to be cognizant of, of you know, the appropriate way to code and, um, and getting that done correctly. And then um, what happens is if you're overcoding, then what will happen in the, in the transaction is that they'll come in and they'll do a due diligence. And after that, you know, 60 days out, they'll look at what's been done right or done wrong. You have to pay for that. What are the implications for my staff or for my lease or, or other property that I might own? Well, those are going to be uh, very transaction specific. Uh, for the most part, your staff will become uh, an employee of the buyer. Uh, you would, uh, if you own your building, which many uh, professionals actually own their real estate, uh, you'll want to enter into a favorable lease uh, with whoever is, is uh, purchasing that practice. Uh, the, if you have a current lease with your, between yourself and your practice, because you may have two different entities, uh, those will often uh, get renegotiated as part of the transaction. Um, but if you, if you don't own the property and you just have a lease uh, with a landlord, um, very often those will get assigned to the purchaser. Um, and the landlord very often will, will like that because uh, the purchaser is very often even a better credit risk uh, than, than you were as an, as an individual practice. Okay, so I've made my decision to sell or to sign a PSA. Uh, do I navigate this alone or do I really need a third party to come in and help me do it? So it's, you know, transactions in and of themselves are very complex. Any M&A transaction is, isn't is extraordinarily complex. But when you add the, the additional requirements of having to comply with Stark, anti-kickback statute, False Claims Act, and the repercussions of, of not doing that appropriately are, are create quite a bit of risk. So, um, you know, we know that not complying uh, or attempting to comply without a third party looking at it is not, well, it doesn't have good standing with Medicare. So. Because of that, it's really appropriate to get a third-party expert in to validate not only the transaction itself, but in addition to that, on a recurring basis after the transaction takes place, to make sure that you kind of are within, whether it's federal or state regulatory compliance, um, for those agreements. And, and let me just add this, is that what you have to remember is that this transaction is probably the most significant transaction you're going to undertake in your professional career. To not have professionals advising you who have been there and done that before um, is something that you probably don't want to undertake by yourself. Uh, secondly, uh, the, certainly the purchaser is going to be having their professionals on their side. Uh, they're going to have their accountants, their lawyers, and their uh, valuation professionals. Um, and uh, you're at a big disadvantage if you don't have that as well. Gentlemen, thank you for sharing your insights. If you have more questions for Dave or Brad, visit their website at akiroconsulting.com. That's A-K-I-R-O consulting.com. Thanks very much for listening.